how does one move from a journalism career to leading a design team in Tokyo? This is a common question asked to our guest Felipe Pontes. Felipe is a Brazilian journalist, now senior service designer at Tata Consulting Services. His career started as a writer in the back pages of Brazilian magazines, which led to his first step into design. When he co-authored one of the first books on design thinking in Brazil, he was then awarded the prestigious Mombokusho Scholarship and traveled to Japan where he researched the use of design sprints in helping refugees and immigrants from Syria. Today, he's using those same skills as an expert service designer. A warm welcome to Felipe Pontes. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you for yeah, joining us. I have to say that um, December is an interesting month in uh, Japan. What is your favorite thing about Christmas in Japan or December in Japan? I think people are happier. Mm -hmm. Especially, I see a lot of couples, especially when I walk around like Meiji Jingumai or Omotesando. I like to walk around there. If I'm not mistaken, it's a kind of a couples day. Yeah, I think it's a couple thing in Japan. But what it's like, like in Christmas in Brazil, does it have, do you celebrate or? It's a family thing, so you have to spend with your family. So I have 13 uncles and aunts. Wow. wow. Whenever possible. We we are usually in different cities, but Christmas parties back home, they tend to have a lot of people. Wow. Dozens wow. of people. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need some food? Can I say traditional KFC, Japanese KFC in Brazil? Yeah, we, I think we eat chicken at uh, KFC. What about in Brazil? What do I think it's mean? not that much different from what you see, for instance, in American movies, because people, they mm -hmm. prepare usually turkey meat, like huge banquets, a lot of like food. Christmas is coming soon, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to be there, so I'm going to travel soon. Oh, you're traveling for Christmas? Mm, I don't know if I'll be able to come back, though. <laughs> oh. Like uh, the Omicron and so on, but... I hope it's going to be okay. How exciting. It's soon. And it's it's maybe where I would like to, to ask, when did you come to Japan? So First time was in February 2011. Mm -hmm. I became a tourist like, all by myself. I saved like almost two years like oh. my salary and so on. I used to live still with my parents back then. And um, mm -hmm. then to me, it was kind of like a magical experience it was really weird to come here all by myself i had a friend that was supposed to come with me and he canceled due to a family emergency like three days earlier <laughs> wow. to me it was really nice that's when i i believe i fell in love with japan then and then over the next year my same the same friend he convinced me to come with him again then mm. uh, we traveled or around the country and so on both times I've spent around 20 days. It was really, really nice. So when you came to Japan first, you were tourist. Tourist, yeah, mm -hmm. two times. So that's when I actually moved to Japan in 2014, uh, March, around yeah. March, and I'm with a scholarship from the Japanese government. But the trips that I've done before, they kind of reassured me that that was a place that I would like to, to visit. Um, most of my friends in Brazil, the ones that had kind of the opportunity, like financially or not, 
or like uh, the stimuli somehow to move and like uh, to go to another country. They were always aiming to go to uh, U.S. Uh, or uh, or Europe, you know. And I wanted to do something different, mm-hmm. so Japan seemed like a nice option, and I was lucky enough, I guess, to get the scholarship. And and also it's it's quite a big gap between coming as a tourist to going on uh studying here and most importantly getting a scholarship because for a scholarship you have to have like a strong purpose. You have to convince a panel of a whole bunch of other people. So I wanna ask you, what was your purpose when they, they asked you like why do you wanna come to Japan? and use all our money for the next three few years so the the first thing is like since brazil has this massive like really big uh japanese brazilian community uh mm-hmm. there you know there are many it's extremely competitive especially in the state that i've tried that was sao paulo the sao paulo has i think around two hundred thousand uh japanese descendants there or more mm-hmm. and um but most of them, even the ones that are fluent in naturally in English or in in Japanese, aside from Portuguese, uh, they like are engineers, or they have a more like technical background. So I believe that I've managed to position my uh, candidacy in a some kind of like sweet spot that I was like the communication design person. That they were always the every year they tried to send people. Uh, you know, like uh, language students, engineer students, law students. They try to have a quota for like different fields and areas. And uh, I positioned myself since back then as like a, a design thinking expert wannabe. And that that was something very new in Japan and that I wanted to help popularize that in Japan. That was my, my goal since the very beginning. That was, and I remember we were spoke, speaking offline uh, about mm-hmm. this, like that wasn't your, your entry point was that, as you said, as something more social, more human centered was actually through a different career. You're not a service designer originally, right? Or a design specialist. Right. Like most of my fellow service designers, at least, uh, at least for my age, I guess. So because I'm around 33 now, so, uh. I guess everyone that is in their 30s, they usually, they used to work with something else before, uh, moving service design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a journalist. So uh, mm-hmm. actually, I have a bachelor's degree in journalism. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like four years traditional course in a very uh, traditional university back home in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a magazine reporter like for six, seven years. And uh, I've stopped one or two months before moving to Japan. So from, I'd say from 17, that's when I actually entered the university. But I was already working almost full time from the very beginning until like uh, February 2014, when I was 24, 25. I, um, I was working as a reporter from websites or uh, our magazines. So what happened at that that time, like journalism to <laughs> to service design? Because hmm. 
they're just two different worlds. And what inspired you? So uh, I used to work for one of the biggest uh, media conglomerates in the world. It's called Global. It's mm-hmm. like Globe, but with O instead of E in the end. And Global had a lot of really popular magazines and so on. And I used to be a science reporter at one of those magazines that is kind of like a Wired magazine, you know, that mm-hmm. covers innovation, technology, culture, and these kind of things. Um, and uh, one... Uh, once I had to interview um, two people that were opening the first office of uh, service design agency in Brazil, it's called Livework. It's a British service design agency. They are they call themselves, I, and I think they're right actually, uh, the first service design agency in the world. Mm. Livework. So I interviewed them. They were opening their office. It was like two people launching their um, headquarters in South America. And we got along really well. I really liked it. I started, uh, uh, I joined some workshops too that they were doing with a client and I saw what they were doing. I thought it was cool. Um, this was in 2011. And we got along well. And that was it. Like after the, after a few weeks, the story was published. They were really happy. Uh, they reached me again, like saying thank you and so on. Then I saw that as an opportunity to ask them to, some tips about like, how can I work with that? You know, like you have, uh, should I do any course? Can you help me somehow put me in touch with some people that can teach me that? And they actually started offering me for free some like advice or even calling to join their uh, courses. They would do some courses here. And um, yeah, I mean, I always loved journalism. I still love it, but facing a crisis still is unfortunately so i was also kind of worried about my career and trying to figure out other things that i could do with my current skill set so especially when i saw things related to human centered uh, design like uh, you know you have to interview someone to, uh, you need to have empathy to understand what other people are thinking feeling yes. and, so on. and i started thinking well i, I can do that i guess <laughs> back then and then we kept in touch. I was every once in a while talking to them, trying to join some activities in their office, uh, usually activities that they weren't doing with clients because they had a kind of a side business within the agency it was mm-hmm. educational. Uh, then in 2012, they decided to uh, launch a book, the first one about design thinking in, in yeah. Brazil. Yeah, I want to know about that. Yeah. What is yeah. the book? So it was, it's kind of like really basic about like uh, uh, things about like how to have empathy and so on about the five steps of design thinking. But uh, they had booked a really famous writer in Brazil to be their ghost writer. Mm-hmm. And the guy had to turn down, I think, a few months before they sent the first uh, draft to the publisher. Everything was set. They had the contract. And I think the famous writer had a, also a personal issue and had to drop out <laughs> and then i assumed it and i started working as a side job at night so i would work like nine to ten hours a day wow. then would go back home and at like, that's, in, uh, that's intense 10 p.m to 3 a.m writing stuff because they wanted the book to sound young and i was uh-huh. young back then and they like the way that I used to write because you still are. Back you still are. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Uh, so they they wanted it to sound like kind of cool, 
and the magazine I used to work for was made and like they had kind of this whole way of writing. It was funny, uh, you know, not traditional at all. So I helped them. Uh, they sent me, they had a, written a lot of stuff, but still it needed revision. It needed to sound better, like, uh, and uh, help them interview some people. And then I finished the book. But I mean, interviewing uh, people that they would tell me to interview. So I would pretty much just connect things there were like a lot of loose ends mm. and then i helped them until the end of the i mean the first version of the draft when they sent to the publisher and then someone else like a professional editor from the publisher you know edited like improved it here and there uh the good thing is that in the end they have they even put my name in the cover of the first edition of the book, which to me was totally unexpected yes. and which I, I could be fired because of that because I used to work for a big publisher that was kind of a rival. So I freaked out at the same time, but I was really happy. I was not fired. Everything worked out well. And I um, used this when I was applying for the scholarship because I was saying like, you know, I even have a book published. Like I'm a collaborator of a book and so on, yeah. which I was in a way. I really you were waiting for it. Yeah. So it was kind of luck, I guess, and I kind of used this because uh, to be a career changer is really tricky enough. It's really complicated. So even to get uh, my spot at the university that I joined here, KO, like KMD, KO Media Design, this helped me a lot. The book was the key for me to change my career. KMD uh, at KO University, um, it's the, the campus in uh, just outside of Tokyo, is that correct? It's in Hiyoshi. So when you were going into that, did you, I, I, I think like KMD has different units or research laboratories. Mm-hmm. Did you um, go into one specifically uh, related to design thinking as that being your, your main interest, like your, your point into design? Or was it that once you got to KO, you kind of, you know, met people and then changed how you were thinking about time because design thinking is just one small part, right? Of the, yes. the, the bigger part of uh, design. So back then, I don't know now, KMD had a professor that was uh, really famous in the field of design thinking, published like several books about it. Mm. But his group usually dealt only with Japanese students mm. and his uh, projects were, in my point of view, at least more like theoretical. And someone and I am more like a hands-on person. So in the end, the solution that I found is I joined a project called uh, Global Education, yes. where uh, participants, they run workshops usually with students of universities or like kindergartens, you know, like from all like ages. And they kind of uh, analyze the results of those workshops through action research. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, in the end, to me, that was the best way. So my master's thesis, I ran design thinking, um, sorry, design sprints with uh, refugees living in Brazil and in Germany, mostly Syrian refugees. So I ran in total, I think, nine workshops, nine sprints, uh, seven with refugees, two with NGOs, mm-hmm. one NGO from Brazil, one NGO from uh, Japan, from Germany, sorry, with refugees around like almost 80 refugees in total. So the idea was to test design sprints 
in a social environment because design sprints are were created mostly within Google to you know generate new ideas within startups you know especially like apps companies want to create new features of their apps so they run sprints internally and then they test have ideas and test them you know really quickly and I wanted to test this in a different setting so that was my you graduate from K University like you worked for agency agency Mm -hmm. five years is that correct yes four years and so on let me see (laughs) almost four years yeah and you joined the current company tcs yes Yes, Tata consultancy services what is the tcs is known for what do they exactly do uh so tcs is one of the biggest consultancies in the world it has five hundred thousand employees And it's mostly known for like IT. Mm-hmm. So Tata builds systems, you know, for, for clients. So uh, usually like we have a lot of engineers and so on. Really build usually internal systems. As that must be really interesting because TCS or uh, Tata Consulting Services is a global and we always think of Tata Steel as a big and we also know of Tata other industries. How do you feel working for a global company but being rooted in japan you know you've been in japan for a long time and i'm sure you're kind of you have japanese blood you don't have japanese blood but i i think japanese japan has influenced the way you work with people what has that experience been like it was really interesting because the my previous job which was a hundred percent japanese company uh, i was the second foreigner to join it they didn't have they were super nice to me super patient too um, but most of, like almost everything was in Japanese naturally, and my Japanese is terrible. So it was kind of tough for me to, to get like uh, along with it. It was really, there were moments that it wasn't their fault at all. So it was like stressful to me. Huh? It was my fault to me. But, um, uh, Tata, Tata has a lot of Indian employees even here in Japan. So all meetings, the official, even internal meetings are, Almost all meetings are in English. There are many like uh, Japanese that speak English there too. Most of my colleagues they are bilingual. Even Indians, like most of the Indians, speak Japanese. <laughs> so to me, it was much easier to uh, deal with colleagues and so on. Can I ask you from a, a communication uh, perspective? I, I find that you you're basically communicating. With- Japanese uh, colleagues and you're communicating with colleagues from India and I'm sure you've got other colleagues from around the world. What type of things do you think have helped you in that? I think uh, I'm, I've am i learned a lot about this and I mean, I'm still learning to like uh, understand different perspectives. You know, I tend to have a strong personality. Uh, I mean, I have a strong personality. So if someone says something that I... It's like two, three years ago, something that I judged to be stupid. My mm-hmm. mind would close you know, <laughs> and I would hear properly what the other has to say. I would just like disagree strongly and be kind of inflexible. And um, I've learned now to take a step back, even when I disagree at first with something and hear the reasoning behind it. And like I'm learning also like uh, the importance of having different perspectives and seeing how colleagues with different backgrounds would, uh, mm-hmm. like could be culturally or, uh, you know, even from different fields would solve a given 
um, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this I've learned a lot, not only at Tata, even at my previous job. I think I'm a very different person than I was, let's say, even five years ago. And at Tata, what changed to me is that I really have to deal with a lot of people with technical background. I mean, engineers. Yes. Like, you know, and it's kind of, uh, I mean, to me at first it was a shock, uh, but uh, I am learning and getting better at it. And it's really good to see what the business people have to say, what the salespeople have to say, what the engineers have to say. And then you try to reach some kind of consensus uh, here and there to, to run the projects uh, efficiently. Because there are a lot of heads thinking about the same project, but through different perspectives. And you have to align that. Mm-mm. But it's, it's, it's definitely an, an amazing experience and an excellent way to, to like learn, especially in a world that is becoming very, the communication at least, it's very easy to speak to someone on the other side of the world, right? Yes. Yes. But learning to connect to them is not never going to be as easy as jumping to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a strong personality, so I also need to learn the attitude of stepping back and listening to people. What is the most exciting projects that you've done in Japan? Good question. So because I unfortunately can't speak too much in like details, but uh one of the things that I personally most like to do first it's like educational projects but that's a personal thing it's not even the business of my current company you know um actually teaching people that have no like design background for them to use these certain tools or processes here and there uh, i think this is really rewarding especially when a client gets back to you and calls you and tells like oh i've used this or that that you taught me to launch that service you know or to launch the product to me that's really cool it's not like uh, being directly related to the client all the time, but sometimes also to help the client to grow, to empower the client. To me, that's really nice. Um, Tata projects, what I really like is that Tata controls all the process. You know, if we're building a system for a company, it could be like an airline company, you know, for instance, a check-in system. Mm. If we help them with service design, usually at the very beginning, and sometimes in the middle, you know, and then we briefed the engineers to build something better. Uh, it's really rewarding to see everything, you know, uh, from start to beginning, uh, from start to the end. I'm sorry, uh, uh, going on, being fulfilled. To me, that's really nice. That's something that, uh, depending uh, on the other projects that I did before joining Tata, to me, it wasn't. It's not that. The result was not efficient or wasn't good, but uh, it's really nice to see something actually uh, being created step by step and to be part of that journey. Mm-hmm. And Tata is so big that it allows that. And so I would love to actually like uh, dig, a, dig a bit deeper there and ask, what is uh, TCS service design vision for Japan? We are starting to build that. So currently now our team has only uh, four or five people, but we are actively hiring. So please, if you're listening to this, if you're a service designer, UI, UX designer, don't be afraid of reaching me out or some of my colleagues. We're still figuring out how to fit that because Tata has already kind of a clear MO to do everything that is technically technical related, you know, like uh, when it comes to developing services for, for clients. Sometimes... So those systems, they can be uh, end user facing, 
mm-hmm. like uh, apps and so on. But there's a lot of like backstage services, systems that we build. And uh, we're trying to figure out what is the best way to do that, especially because Tata has also a lot of like big companies as clients and they have these contracts that include like sometimes maintenance of a given service. So it's very long engagement, very big, even financially wise. And the client is used to pay a certain amount of money like to build a system, right? But when we tell them like, what if you do design here and there? It takes a bit of convincing so then they can see the value of the design work too. Service design is, it feels like a very new industry in Japan uh, mm-hmm. compared to the traditional design roles to Europe where service design is, is more mature. I think it's in Japan, the image of what a service designer is, is growing. So when people ask you like, what is a service designer or what do you do? How do you explain that? Yeah, I mean, my parents and my brothers still don't know or don't understand what I do. <laughs> I, I mean, the best way I tell them is like by literally describing the tasks that I do. So meaning like me and my team, we we interview stakeholders like end users or like employees of one of our clients to understand what they're going through. And then we help them improve the front stage and the backstage process. Mm-hmm. No. I, this makes it more clear. And sometimes, yeah, I run workshops here and there to help a client come up with new ideas and so on. Mm. But I also, I always try to diffuse this idea that design, at least service designer, uh, always relies on design thinking workshops. You know, I think the most mm-hmm. important part of our work is actually research, mm-hmm. like by far. Workshops would come after. So, of course, they're kind of a tool that we use. But research is the most important. And we are always telling that to our clients. And, you know, research is time-consuming. It takes a while. So, But from what we've noticed is that once we convince a client to do that, to go through this process and we tell them, like, you know, bear with us. Uh, if we do, like, re- proper research and then later on, yes, workshops and prototype and test before we actually develop something for you. The end result is going to be so much better. You're going to see it, but please bear with us. The first time is always like tricky to convince them, but once we do it, like it becomes recurring. You know, it leads to what we call downstream business in a way that they call us again. But the first first time is always tricky now, especially because these big clients, big companies, they have budget, and you have it's not so easy to convince them to invest more money here and there. Especially because design research is time consuming. You have to put like a lot of people to do, uh, to interview the stakeholders. You have to build proper reports and so on. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's very important. Huh? So it takes a while of, it's, it takes a bit of convincing. At least my role at Tata is pre pre sales. I have to convince pre sales people like, internally that what we do is important and which is not hard at all it just takes a a bit of time and then uh, they uh, end up reaching clients to do pre-sales and then we do sales and then we execute the project so it's just kind of work that takes a bit of time to do but i feel it works like you you've mentioned that the service design is not as mature here as in europe but to be honest i'm seeing it getting uh, better, better and better. 
Uh, there are, of course, especially competitors of Tata, like um, really big design agencies here that, uh, or agencies that bought design agencies that they are already recognized by the market and they have their clients that are already companies that have a certain design maturity. In the case of Tata, our clients, some are very traditional and some of them never heard about design. So we have to educate them. It's just so impressive, like the amount of companies that have no clue whatsoever or almost no clue about what we do, or they really don't understand the problem of like sometimes interviewing uh, people, you know, like, why don't you talk to your users <laughs> to them? Maybe this will be important. It's, it's for designers, this sounds obvious, but yes. in, I mean, and I don't blame our clients or, or pre-clients, you know, it's just uh, they weren't. Uh, educated or informed about that. So I believe it's our work to do that. Yeah. And here in Japan, we're still figuring out the best way to do it, the best way to approach clients and to fit what we do into projects. I tend to have a more pragmatic approach. I like to see what's being done right now and try to see where we can fit service design activities instead of reinventing the wheel. You know, Tata is an IT company. They already know what they're doing. We are here just to make it better somehow. So I see our job as essential, like really important, but at least at the time being kind of like incremental um, because the company won't change the way it does this or that just because of us. You know, we have to find a way of fitting. So uh, yes, there are opportunities that we do that are only design-based, but uh, we aim more for like to do something connected to our key main business yeah i totally understand the foundation is really important and lots of the convincing is the key for a good product i learned so much from talking with you thank you so much for today it was really a meaningful time thank you for today Felipe. thank you <laughs> yes thank you so much for for joining us today i i think we've had a, a really good walking down the path of you from your journey that started off on the other side of the world, upside down, right? Uh, yes. Brazil, <laughs> and how you use journalism as your entry point into an industry that's not only growing, but allows you to engage with so many different people as a multicultural thinker. And I think that's what we really like here at Demo Design podcast so we uh would like to say thank you so much to all the people that listen to the podcast today and see you in the next one